Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. We are going to uh, hear from Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 now, which you'll see on the screen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will, make, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Um, today's passage um, is an important warning uh, from Paul to us, but it's a warning with a good purpose. He warns us that we live in the midst of a cosmic conflict between God and Satan. But the reason why Paul warns us about this is that he wants us to continue to grow, to be loving like God and Christ-like and not be weakened by Satan. If we're going to carry out healthy, life-giving, God-honouring ministries, we need to be aware of this conflict and we need to be aware of the schemes of the devil that might try to weaken us. And so through Paul, God is fantastic here because what God offers us in his word is a life, a way of love that resists the devil. So we become and continue to be and grow as people that love like God loves and are Christ-like through a number of key Christian practices that then help us resist the devil who would try to bring us down. So that's the big idea. We live in the midst of a cosmic conflict between God and Satan. God gives us strength to resist the devil's schemes that aim at stopping us from being loving like God and servant-hearted like Christ. Let's step back a little bit and think a little bit about the context of the letter here. Um, If you'd like to, if you have a Bible in front of you, um, turn to Ephesians 5.2. In Ephesians 5.2, Paul gives the central message that he's trying to communicate here to this group of early Christian house churches. Ephesians 5, 1, 2. This is what Paul is saying. He says, follow God's example, therefore, 
as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example as dearly loved children walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This means that what Paul is aiming to achieve and promote in this community is that they become loving like God is and other person focused as Christ is. And what Paul's done in Ephesians is apply this where the rubber really hits the road. He's dealt with church unity. And he's applied this idea of being loving as God is loving and servant-hearted as Christ is to this issue of church unity. He's also applied the ideas of love and service to wife and husband relationships. He's also applied it to being loving children to our parents, and he's also applied the idea of being loving and Christ-like to being godly parents. So he's applied it to all those close, intimate relationships where we have responsibilities, obligations, and duties, and he's calling us to love and be Christ-like. Paul's realistic, and he knows that this is where the rubber hits the road for Christians. It's in the particularities of relationships. And the great thing is, is that in Christian relationships, we can experience life-giving, godly love as we see, experience and participate in being Christ-like to others. We can see the renewal of humanity that God is bringing about. It's so encouraging. Um, I can illustrate this with um, yesterday. I was on the phone uh, with Brian having having a chat, <clears throat> and um, and Brian said, "Hey man, do you know uh, do you know Meg Mallison?" And I said, "Yeah, she she's fantastic. In fact, it was her and her husband who were a great role model for my wife and I on on what Christian marriage uh, can look like and what Christian parenting can look like. Because as a young couple, when we got engaged." Uh, They were in our church, and for the last 25 years, we've kept in touch with them, um, been at the same church with them for many, many years, and seen what God's love looks like in marriage, what servant-heartedness looks like in parenting, and it's just been fantastic for us. So we can see why Paul is really trying to say, hey, let's be loving as God is loving and Christ-like in one another's relationships, because there we see God at work and God works through us. I really reckon that in these people, my wife and I have seen what it looks like to follow God's example as dearly beloved children, people who walk in the way of love. It's fantastic. So that was lovely um, to talk about that with Brian and see, see what Sunday preaching looks like as it's lived out between Monday to Saturday. It was fantastic. Now, the problem is, though, that Paul knows that that we have an enemy, the devil. In verse 11 in chapter 6, Paul speaks about the devil and his schemes. And Paul's very concerned for Christians 
He wants us to, to be alert, as he says later in this passage, to wake up, to be real, to know what's going on. There's somebody that doesn't want you to follow God's example, that wants to stop you from walking in the way of love, that wants to stop you being Christ-like. There's someone who wants to prevent you from living into your vocation as someone who has been saved by the fragrant offering that Christ offered to God on your behalf. What's, what's this enemy like? This devil who has schemes. Well, in Paul's other writings, we see, for example, in 2 Corinthians um, 2, 4 and 11, um, Paul speaks about the devil who can outwit people. He can confuse you. He can blind people to the truth. He can tempt people into sinfulness. Paul describes these as deceitful spirits and, and demons in 1 Timothy. These demons can lead you away from good things like marriage and good things in creation like food and choose opposite things, lesser goods. Also, these demonic agents can prevent us from developing virtues such as forgiveness. In James, we're warned against being influenced by demonic delusions that would lead us to selfish ambition and envy, which then in turn leads to disorder and every evil practice. So what a way to wreck a community and person's intention to be loving and Christ-like. If we are confused by the devil, tempted to sin, blinded to the truth, deceived, deceived, and fall into selfish and ambition and envy and disorder and evil practice, we're not going to be loving each other and we're not going to be Christ-like. And I know that already you are thinking of examples from contemporary Melbourne where we have seen this chaotic disorder that comes about when selfish ambition, pride, temptation, blindedness are means that people simply have been outwitted by the devil. And the light that was in that place is no longer shining and pointing to the God of love, light and life. That is gone. And in our lives, you know, if we're honest, it's hard to be loving, sacrificial, children, uncles, parents, siblings, spouses, if we're selfish and if we are outwitted by this devil and his schemes. So what can we do? Well, you might uh, think, well, local, local theology is the big wave these days and folk ideas are what's cool. So you might think, well, what's, what's, kinda, what's the way here out in the hills where I live? Well, what we would say here is to eat a handful. And by that we mean eat a handful of concrete and harden up. You just need to harden up and get on with it and do what you need to do, okay? Toughen up. Well, that's not going to work. Why? Well, because the devil is an overwhelming enemy who is far more powerful than what you are aside from God's supernatural ability and incorporation into the body of Christ and the key Christian practices that go with that. The devil is far greater than you are aside from grace 
the body of Christ, and the Christian practices that will protect you against the devil's assault. Because as Paul says in verses 12 and 13, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Just notice the words. It's not flesh and blood. You're not going up against the person here. It's rulers, authorities, powers, forces, heavenly realms. That tells me that's far beyond you and I. Paul says that the day of evil is here, verse 13. We live in the midst of a cosmic conflict between God and Satan, and we face an enemy we cannot challenge and resist on our own. So the first thing Paul wants us to do is to know what's going on, to be aware of this battle, of a universe torn apart by war. Here's the tricky thing, though. It's a war in which you see, feel, sense the destruction, the wreckage, but often you don't see the battle itself. And for that reason, you might just not be aware of it. Maybe I can give you an illustration. I grew up in Argentina, as you all know, and then went back to work there as an adult. In both times, there was civil war. During the day, you would see houses that had been bombed, people mourning the fact that, that relatives had been disappeared in the middle of the night. You'd notice that people that lived on your street had just gone. You'd see the wreckage during the day, but you'd never actually see the intrusion into the house or the car bomb going off because that always happens at nighttime after curfew and when everyone's too afraid to leave the house. And that's the way it works with this battle. We don't see the particulars, really, of the battle, but we see the wreckage. And Paul here is explaining the wreckage. There is a devil who is scheming against us. There is a devil who wants to stop us from being loving and from being Christ-like. And Luther, the great theologian, was very aware of this. He said that it's imperative for Christians to know that there's only two kingdoms in this world and that they're bitterly opposed to one another. In one of them, Satan reigns, and in it he holds captive to his will all those that have not been snatched away from him by the Spirit of Christ. They're his words. So you're only saved and rescued from this kingdom of darkness when you are snatched away from the devil by the Spirit of Christ. And in the other kingdom, Luther says, that's where Christ reigns. This is the kingdom that resists the devil, makes war on Satan. And once we're transformed into this kingdom, with God's help, we can stand. And that's the big message that Paul will then unpack. But Paul doesn't want you to be naive that the devil has schemes, he has strategies, and these are tailored to you. Luther also says that Satan modifies his attacks. 
according to the particular character that he finds in each Christian. Let me quote Luther here. He says, No person is without lusts and desires as long as they live in the flesh, and no person is free from temptations. Some are tempted in one way or another. One is assailed by grievous motivations, another one by bitterness, another one by anguish, another one by blasphemy, distrust, desperation, fleshly lusts, wrath, envy, hatred, and so forth. And what the devil does is he tries to leverage those in your life, feed them so that you'd be weak, not be loving, and not be Christ-like. So be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. That's what Paul says in verse 11. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What Paul is saying is that those who are rescued in Christ need to draw on God, need to lean into God and pray for God's help to resist this near overwhelming enemy. Paul isn't asking for anything new because really this is in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer that Jesus himself gave us, we pray that we be delivered from temptation, delivered from the evil one, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. So protection from our enemy is something we ask God to do because he is the one who has this kingdom of light, life, and love, and he is the powerful and glorious one forever. So it's with God that we can resist the devil and his schemes. So what Paul goes on to do is he explains how God may strengthen us to participate in his kingdom such that we may be strong and strengthened to love and to be Christ-like. And what Paul offers is a cooperative model in that we cooperate by responding to the good things that God has given to us so that we resist the devil. God has a very high view of his children and he gives to his children an armour that he expects us to put on with God's help in the company of the church. And this armour is a metaphor that he uses for key Christian practices that are part of the way of life that Paul describes our life. Our life is the way of love, and the way of love includes certain key practices. Now, we're really big on guided spiritual formation here at Ridley College for good reasons, because we're forming people to be leaders in their churches and ministries. And the formation that Paul offers here is the formation that will protect you if you trust in God's power as you practice these. So what what are these? Well, firstly, in verse 14, Paul says to stand firm with the belt of truth backled around your waist. Now, the first lie of Satan was to doubt the word of God, to doubt the truth that God is God, that God is good, he has good intentions, and that God will judge sin. There were key truths that Adam and Eve denied. And in armour, the belt of truth goes around your middle, it protects your middle and your legs, but it also helps you to brace yourself 
I don't know if you've ever been to the gym. Sometimes you see really the big, big ones. They have a, a weight belt around them so that they can brace themselves and dig deep and they can lift like three times their body weight. It's amazing to watch. They can bear down with the belt around them and therefore push against these forces. We can resist these great larger forces with God's help when we know the truth of the situation. And the truth of the situation is that you've been rescued by God, you've been saved by God, you have the promise that God will hold you despite the temptations and schemes that the devil brings against you. So the belt of truth, if we walk in the truth, we are gradually, habitually resisting the devil and his temptations. And this means saying no to ungodliness. It means saying no to vices. It means saying no to all those lusts of the flesh. And it means saying yes to God. The belt of truth is saying yes to God and his truth. And then we have the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate protects you, your heart, your lungs, your ribs. And this is used as a metaphor to talk about protecting righteousness in relationships. Righteousness in relationships means doing that which is right by what's required of me in each relationship. As a parent, what's required of me? What are the obligations that are in place that I need to fulfill? If I fulfill them rightly, I'm being righteous. The way of love and being Christ-like is the way of doing the right thing by my responsibilities to others. As a Christian, as a parent, as a nephew, as a son, as a dad, as a friend. If we are doing that which is right by all those people to whom we have an obligation, we resist the devil's schemes because he wants us to be confused, to be tempted, to be envious and not do the right thing in relationships. If we act to do the right thing in relationships by the very action we are resisting the devil, so it's a habitual life of truth, of righteousness, and a readiness to apply the gospel, the gospel of peace to every situation. Just as there's reconciliation with God, there's reconciliation with one another and maintaining that peace with one another. Be ready to be pure-hearted and a peacemaker, as Jesus says. And then in verse 16, we we're given this analogy of the shield of faith which extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And here Paul is underscoring two things. The flaming arrows of the evil one. He doesn't want us to forget what we're up against. In ancient warfare, they would dip arrows in tar or something like that, set them on fire and shoot them at you. If you don't have a shield, a big one, not just a little round one, to protect you, you're going to cop a flaming arrow in the face. So take up the shield of faith. Trust that God has you. He's poured his love into your heart. He's adopted you as his child. He has you firm for a purpose and a calling which is to love. So know your calling, know your orientation, know your identity. Have faith and understand who you are. 
Finally, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, it's our protection that we have as we hold on to God's promises for life. So the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation overlap. It's knowing that you're a dearly beloved child of God. That's what Paul has said. We are called to follow God's example as dearly beloved children. The helmet of salvation is the reminder that you're saved. It's holding on to that promise. And then the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. We need to stand, but as you all know, the best defence is attack. And the sword of the Spirit that just cuts through all the devil's lies is the word of God. And once again, we're reminded that the way that Satan attacked Adam and Eve is that he deprived them of the word. And he got them to believe his words, not God's words. The great thing about being a Christian is God has given us his word in the Bible. We have the words of God. We don't have to rely on the words of the one who would deceive us. And all this in prayer, you see at the very end of the passage, that we pray always in the spirit, speaking to God as our scripture-shaped person, someone who's deeply in the scriptures, hears from the Spirit, draws from the Scriptures and prays along with God's mind and lifts all our supplications up to God, our praise, our thanksgiving, our confession. So we're in this relationship with God always in his kingdom. That is how to resist the devil. So be mindful of your situation. We're not living in a neutral situation. There's a cosmic conflict. God strengthen us to resist the devil's schemes that aim at stopping us being like God in love and Christ-like as Christ and servant-hearted as Christ is. And the thing is, God has given us these basic Christian practices by which we can resist the devil and continue to grow in love and servant-heartedness. So God bless you. I hope that when I come back in July next year, I'll come back to a community that's strong in love and Christ-like servant-heartedness because you've been able to, with the Lord and his strength, resist the schemes of the devil.